welcome to Western Reaches. We are a Toshi Station podcast about science fiction, fantasy books, and video games, and other nerd stuff we like. I'm one of your hosts, Seth, and with me as always is Megan. Hello. And today we are talking about books and games, typically, as we said we would. Um, we've both been... <laughs> no lies here. Not intentionally, <laughs> yeah. anyway. No, we try not to lie to our listeners. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's just the basic that's podcast 101. Yeah, uh, I've been, I'm in Australia right now. Uh, I'm at Melbourne International Games Week, so I've been busy doing that. Megan, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. I have been doing a lot of books coverage for Den of Geek lately. I'm enjoying the fall weather and the fact that it's actually beginning to look like Halloween in the Northeast. (laughs) So that's... uh, that's me. Yeah, I'm having like the opposite thing because I'm really enjoying it being warm and sunny and really nice. <laughs> it's like we had such an odd summer that now having a normal cold fall is good, but also I feel that like it's chilly in the morning. I don't like this. Yeah, that is the one problem because like I love I love autumn. It's it's a good season, but I hate it when it's cold in the mornings because I never want to get out of bed. Yep. I took a drive today to Pennsylvania and saw the changing leaves in the Delaware Water Gap, which is a beautiful place between New Jersey and Pennsylvania. It was good. It was soothing to the soul. Yeah, things like that always are. I love love trees so much. (laughs) We're not here to talk about real trees. We're here to talk about fake trees. (laughs) Highly detailed fake trees no i'm just kidding i mean some of them are probably highly detailed (laughs) we said we wouldn't talk about the red dead redemption trees (laughs) no we're not we're not touching on that right now (laughs) nor the horses (laughs) yes so before we get into things um we're gonna do a quick shout out to star wars resistance because uh they mentioned the western reaches on it and that's very exciting because i love it when we get mentioned yeah, every time they remind me that Western Reaches is an actual thing in Star Wars world, that's where our name came from, but it's us now, so Star Wars just borrows it now. It's I just get thing. a little bit of joy. Yeah, it's really sweet. Um, I mean, <laughs> sweet as if they did it to actually be like, hey, we know you guys exist, because maybe they don't care. Um, I do that whenever I watch The Force Awakens and they mention the Western Reaches, and I'll grab whoever's next to me and be like, that's my podcast! <laughs> It's ours yep. now. It is. We're We've claimed this term. Phasma. We're in charge. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So first we're going to talk a bit about books because um, we've been reading, as we tend to do. Megan, what have you been reading lately? The first one that I want to talk about this week is Dactyl Hill Squad by Daniel Jose Older. I learned about this because Daniel Jose Older wrote Last Shot, the uh, novel that tied into Solo, and he then had been talking about his middle grade novel about dinosaurs in the Civil War, and I love dinosaurs, and I love diverse books, so this seemed like a really great combination of the two of those things. It is middle grade, so it's pretty quick, um, but I really liked that it deals direct with the racism and the civil uh, the tensions in the Civil War, it seemed you know it, it seemed to fit the historical period very well as much as I know I don't know too much about the era, but it was <laughs> a bunch of black kids fighting against like 
judges, corrupt judges and racist judges with the help of pterodactyls and velociraptors. And that's a great thing. So definitely really endearing characters. All the characters had very distinct personalities and distinct ways of speaking. The main character was a, a girl called Meg Dallas, who I really liked. Um, and the the book ends with like a really great cliffhanger in that it may, it wasn't a frustrating like he only cut it here because it was maximum tension kind of thing but like a this is a really satisfying way to say there's more of this world and there's more coming and you will get to see you'll get to learn more about this so i really liked it it's like recommended for grades three to eight like you know middle school <laughs> um so I'm not exactly the target audience, but I would definitely recommend this for kids or for adults that like this kind of thing or want to see more of Alder's writing. It's very, very different from Last Shot, but very good. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I can definitely like seeing, reading Last Shot, I, I guess, uh, I can see how he would fit really well with writing good middle grade fiction. Like not saying that last shot was that, but like he has a certain kind of like funness to his writing that feels like he'd be a good fit for middle grade. Yeah. And it's funny because you and I both didn't love the humor in last shot. We talked about that <laughs> on blaster cannon. I definitely last shot was like not my favorite star Wars novel, but I liked enough about it that I was interested in trying this one as well and i think the tone almost worked better um for dactyl hill squad for whatever reason that is um it just fit a little more and it did have a lot of like charm as well as these very you know dealt with very serious things and was a very like action heavy story it sounds like a really solid middle grade book and i love hearing that those exist yes yes this is definitely something that um, you know, I think I would have liked to read in middle school and would have been very like, educational as well. Yeah. Um, so speaking of education, one of the, I've been reading like huge long books that take me forever to finish lately. Um, but one that was huge and long, but it was relatively like quick because I was just so fascinated by it was uh, 1491 New Revelations of the Americas Before Columbus, which is a nonfiction, you know, researched text about exactly what it sounds like in Native American society and specifically not, not necessarily um, society in this is how people lived, but more how society was affected by colonization and how Native people affected the world around them. One of the main theses of the book was to dispel the idea that Native Americans lived, and I say Native Americans, and from that I mean everyone from like Canada to Mexico, there was quite a lot of discussion about like the Maya and the Aztecs, how they affected their um, the landscape around them, and how there was this very white like, colonial idea that the native people had, uh, the land was untouched and they lived in a sort of state of like, like idyllic, not affecting the land at all, which is actually a very 
racist idea because it implies that they're they had no like knowledge of how to affect the area and that's untrue there was this book talks a lot about the kind of monoliths that were created and the terraforming um the author uses the word terraforming at one point which i really kind of blew my mind um to make the kind of landscape that was arable and that would feed huge cities of full of people. There were more people. This is a vast simplification, but one of the points of this book was that there were more people in middle America than there were in England at before, before uh, colonization began for Columbus specifically arrived. And that's not um, precise, but that's the idea. So it talked a lot about the way those people use the land and the way colonization messed up these amazing empires. So I learned about this because N.K. Jemison cited it as a book that she had learned a lot from. And I it's definitely uh, was highly educational, highly readable, very well-researched, kind of definitely like blew my mind at points. It also has a sequel called 1493, which I plan to pick up once I'm done with the, the tome that I have right now. That sounds incredibly interesting. And I'm also incredibly in awe of the fact that you could read a big nonfiction book because I struggle with those a lot. Um, but that sounds, yeah, really interesting. It's rare that I read nonfiction. I'm sure people that have been listening to this have heard me talk about that before, but this one was definitely a good exception. Yeah, it sounds like if you're going to make an exception, this one sounds like a good one to be that. Yep. I don't have too much more to say about that. I'm sure there are people... You know, this author, there there are many people that have smarter things to say about this than, than I do, but it was a good kind of first look into that for me. Yeah. So I think I talked a little bit about Brooklyn Book Festival last time. I go pretty much every year, mostly, you know, when I can, I find it's a great place to find new books and just hang out. It's typically literary focused, but is moving more in the direction of young adult as well as genre, which I think are often, but not, you know, they're often classed together, which shouldn't necessarily be classed together. But a lot of the big fantasy authors from the area go there. And one of the books that I picked up there, Sight Unseen, I had no idea what it was, but I thought that, you know, the blurb sounded good, was Beasts Made of Night by Tachi Onyabuchi. And I forgive me if I'm mispronouncing his name, but it is a fantasy novel inspired by his Nigerian background. And it's based around a world where sin manifests as giant creatures made of like ink and oil. And the main character has to go fight them. And there's a big like uh, social inequality in this world where the people that dirty themselves by fighting these creatures are usually poor and downtrodden, but they're also essential to the survival of the upper class because the upper class would be like plagued by monsters all the time without them. So it's a really interesting social commentary. I really love the world building. I really loved how fast this book moved in the beginning. It does get a little slow as it goes on. There's kind of a maybe three quarters of the way through, it slows down instead of speeding up. And this was one where I felt the end was kind of, it didn't end as strong as it began, but it was a really great concept, uh, really fast paced in the beginning. So that was pretty good. If you like 
if you like monsters, you know, it's a really cool fantasy world with a lot of those. I dig that. I dig that a lot. So, and the one that I just finished recently that I, I was lucky enough to get a copy of, an early copy from Den of Geek was The Monster Baru Cormorant by Seth Dickinson, which is a sequel to Traitor Baru Cormorant, which I adore. It's sort of a grim, dark political fantasy about a lesbian math genius infiltrating an evil empire. And the sequel is is coming out on October 30th. There was a lot of coverage on Den of Geek right now. We have an interview with the author. We're going to have a couple more posts themed around that. Um, I was really excited about this book, you know, way before we had any of the, the coverage planned. I was just like, I need this desperately because I love the first one. And I don't want to say too much about it thus far, you know, so far because it's not quite out yet, but this had the like the opposite thing would be Spain of Night where it started a little bit slow, but as it keeps going, it just becomes amazing. It's uh, so dense with ideas and so sort of torturously grim, that's the thing. Like, this is not a happy <laughs> book. This is a book that, like, kind of skewers itself a little bit. It's a book that's very, I think, maybe leans somewhat too much on the, like, torture, grimdark kind of thing. But I really love the characters. There are some new characters that are introduced in this book that I really liked, and there are some ones that return from the previous book in uh, unexpected ways. So I liked all of those things about it. And if lesbian, grim, dark, political fantasy sounds like a thing you would like, I do recommend this. I can think of a lot of people that I could say that to, and they would love to read that, actually. <laughs> It's the only thing I will say is that, like, content warning wise, it is very violent. It is very sort of pessimistic, I guess. It's not, if you were looking for a happy book, this is not it at all. Um, that's the only thing I will say about that. I feel like that's a good warning to make. Yeah, just generalized. It's got a, it's got a laundry list of content warnings. So just be aware of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, Oh, I guess I could talk about my books now. Yes, this one that I that you made several exclamation points, and I just added several hearts. So, <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was inspired by you talking about the sequel last episode. I think yes. um, Archivist Wasp, uh, which is very cool. Oh my god, when you were describing it to me, I was like, "This is incredibly my jam." Because um, yeah, it's like all of the stuff I love about the Spartans and Halo, but there's also like. Right? ghosts and weird fantasy stuff happening it's real cool it's it's so good it's so halo i'm really glad you enjoyed it i think everyone <laughs> should read it and very few people have yeah i've like mentioned it to a few of my friends that i recommend books to and they've never heard of it before and i'm like you need you need to read this it's real good it is real good it's a weird blend of genres and tropes but it works so well Yes. Um, I'm going to look up right now whether it's available to purchase on the iBooks store because there was um, the author changed publishers midway through the series. So I don't know how easy it is to access. You got it at your library? Yeah, yeah. Hmm. So, but yeah, very, very Halo. That's absolutely one of the things that I loved about it. And the, <laughs> the sort of how fierce the main character is. Fierce without being 
how would you just, I want to say fierce, but without like, not in a clean way, you know, in a like yeah. sloppy kind of way, which she's I very love. messy. Yeah, I love that. Um, she's got like such a huge determination to live, but at the same time doesn't care about anything really. She just has a lot of pride, I guess, and like that kind of fierceness makes her sloppy, but it's not a bad pride. It's just like pride in her doing what she does and who she is because she is an amazing person. <laughs> Yes, and and she's amazing, and she's not glamorized. I think that's part of what I like yeah. so much about it. This author, super or not. I, I feel like I'm kind of repeating myself here, but I'm gonna do it anyway. This author kind of fought tooth and nail to make sure there was no romance included in this story. She intentionally did not want there to be any, and had to turn down off, uh, offers from several publishers who wanted her to include it. So that's something that she was very adamant about and something I really appreciate. It is available on the iBooks store, if that is Ooh. a place that you purchase books. I super respect that. Um, the lack of romance in it is really refreshing. And also, like it would detract from the rest of the book if that happened. Um, yeah, I'd, it's just really about like the relationships between people that kind of are strong enough to continue after death or not kind of um it's just really good i kind of i i think i just raced through it as soon as i got the book i just read the whole thing in one go because i couldn't put it down i'm so glad you liked it i i'm just i'm very glad i could go on and on about like describing <laughs> i think the atmosphere is really good the world building is really oh, tight yeah. I love Catherine. I love the ghost. I love the Spartan program that's not the Spartan program, but totally <laughs> is. <laughs> totally Spartans. Totally Spartans. Yeah. Reading that and I'm like, this is this is what I want from Halo. Like, I want more of this from Halo. <laughs> Sometimes they feel more like superheroes. And I think she, um, you know, she wasn't like directly inspired by Halo or anything, but I think she was yeah. inspired by that kind of superhero idea. Yeah. And like the trauma that people go through to become that. Especially when they're forced into that role, like these poor kids were. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it pulls no punches with regards to what that trauma is. Uh, well, at the same yeah. time, never feeling... It doesn't feel grimdark. This is a book that I would say, um, like, content warning for she's real sad, and I think they're, like, it's not a, it's not a happy book, but it's not, like grimdark for the sake of grimdark either yeah it's like when people talk about like realism and using like depressing stuff because of that like i think this captures it better than most because i mean the book isn't realism in any way it's a pretty like kind of weird fantasy kind of sci-fi kind of thing um it's this weird little genre thing but it's like the emotions of the main character feel so real I'm just so obsessed with this author. Like, she has a Patreon. Shout out to her Patreon. Like, <laughs> she's not paying me to advertise for her Patreon, but it's very good. <laughs> That's cool. I'm going to have to look more into her. I'm definitely keen to read the next book when I finish uh, this, like, work trip, I guess, because I put it down. I was like, I need more. I need more right now. But I couldn't hold put any books on hold because I had to leave the country, and that was sad. I guess I could just straight up buy it on my Kindle, actually, now that I think about it, because I do have my Kindle with me. So maybe I'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I also finished the Dreamblood duology by N.K. Jemison. I don't remember if I've actually talked about it here or if Megan and I just talked about it somewhere else. Um, 
Yeah, I, I was I reading that. I don't remember either. Yeah, I know we talked about it, but I don't remember when or why. <laughs> but now you've finished it. So even if we talked about yes. the first book, how do you feel now that you've finished it? I really like it. I was kind of surprised by the choices the second book made sometimes. I guess because the first book, I guess it was about love, but there wasn't really any explicit romance in it. And then the second book there was. And I was like, oh, okay, I see what's happening here. But like, it works really well in the context of the book. Um, So I kind of, once I realized it was happening and I'd settled into it, I was like, okay, fine. Okay, I'll accept romance in a book for once in my life. Um, this is more on me than it is on Jemison, to, to be fair. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm definitely like that too. Well, that's like, like with Updraft, it's like, I don't generally like romance in my like young adult crossover stuff, but I ship it. So this one I like. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, Dreamblood is really cool. It's, um, based well, not based. It's kind of inspired by like ancient Egypt, but it's not historically based on that. Uh, she has this whole like author note at the start of the book talking about how she like built this world, trying to create like a new culture um, and like names and stuff like that. And it's really interesting just reading that before you even start reading the book because it kind of gives you more of a context on how she wrote the book as well and so how the culture works. Uh, but it's basically, if I haven't talked about this book before on here, which I may not have, it's basically there's a city where there are people called dream somethings uh, the gatherers they're called gatherers and they basically kill people by giving them soothing dreams and then just like cutting them off from the from the living world and letting them live in the dream world uh so they can basically do that to gather their emotions this thing called dream blood um that is useful for healing and other stuff like that. Uh, and also like the gatherers themselves need it to survive once they've started doing it. Um, so it's, it's basically about like dreams and like corruption of society. Just jumping right into that one. Um, like it's, it's a lot about corruption and society and not capitalism, but like <laughs> how big structures can get corrupted from the inside, uh, but still mm-hmm. have good people who want to fix it on the inside. And also goes into like war and stuff like that. It's a really, it's it's really interesting and it's really good. The world building is a delight as her stuff usually is. It's very different from Broken Earth. So it took me a while to actually settle into how different it was because I've read the Broken Earth trilogy a couple times. So I'm like really really familiar with it now but Jemison is still just like a really solid writer it's really good and I now need to go read her other series because that's like the last stuff of hers that the last like proper books of hers that I haven't read yet so that's what I'm gonna do next I think you're at that phase where you're out of Jemison. it's a sad phase <laughs> yeah I'm gonna hit that after after this next series and I'm sad though this next series is bigger than two books I think isn't it the um, the fantasy the one ones the one with the gods, I think, has two books. And she oh. has How Long Till Black Future Month coming out in this, before the end of this year. So, Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. I'm doing a thumbs up and you can't see it. Then our Honestly, Jemison so am I. supply will be <laughs> replenished. <laughs> thumbs up across many, multiple oceans. <laughs> we are a N.K. Jemison loving podcast. <laughs> See, it's, I, I think if you've read the Broken Earth trilogy, even if you haven't, honestly, if you like cool fantasy that's a little bit weird and different, um, it's real good. 
Yes, if you are listening to Western Reaches and we have not told you to listen to want, uh, wow, I just used every word except the correct one. <laughs> <laughs> if you have not read The Broken Earth yet, please do it. It actually like it's essential. You have to do it. <laughs> it's so essential. It's just extremely good. I've been getting like everyone I know to read it because I'm like, you have to read this book. It's so good. Um, but I also blame that book for being the reason I will sometimes subconsciously switch into second person when I'm writing. So thanks, Jemison, for that as well, I guess. Yep. It's an incredible use of second person, which actually, uh, I'm not going to talk about The Raven Tower by Anne Leckie yet because I've only read maybe 20 <gasps> or 30 pages of it. But I forgot I do, about that. Yes, I do have it in my home. And if you like interesting points of view um Jemis or excuse me lecky does not disappoint as usual you know i didn't know like what can you do after ancillary justice like what do you do and you do provenance which was fine but not extraordinary raven tower seems like it's set up to be extraordinary so i will talk oh, more about that when i finish it so exciting to hear i'm like eyeing everyone who has a copy of that like i'm gonna i'm gonna fly to your house and steal it when you're done <laughs> I was so so um if you don't know it's it's her upcoming novel I believe it comes out in February there was a deal at New York Comic Con where if you went to the booth um they would to the publisher's booth and told them uh like a code phrase they would give you something and I didn't know what they would give you but I knew I wanted to do it I figured it was like a pin last year at BookCon she gave out or excuse me well the the publisher and not lucky herself but the publisher gave out postcards i thought it was gonna be uh, you know swag and they just handed me the whole <laughs> book <laughs> so Damn. that was cool that and those so those are out in the world now yep they are and i'm gonna get my grubby hands on one of them somehow you know if i have to kill a man actually i don't i'm not gonna do that i don't <laughs> don't use this against me in first. court <laughs> <laughs> I have had a bad habit this week of just saying things out of context that sound very <laughs> dangerous. <laughs> anyway, speaking of dangerous, let's talk about games. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure these games are dangerous, except I guess Assassin's Creed Odyssey is mostly dangerous to fictional people. <laughs> as century is is political commentary, so in a way that's dangerous. Um, so if I have not talked about this before, I don't know that I have. But anyway, I've been listening to a I lot of so. podcasts, content, um, actual play by Austin Walker, who is a writer, game master, critic, etc. And um, so he does mostly actual play podcasts using indie RPGs, which are very enjoyable. The, there is a text-based game that he wrote called AS Century. It's A-S in parenthesis, so I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce it. But it is described, he describes it as a text-based cyberpunk adventure slash choice game slash history sim. And it's text-based you can just play it in a browser it takes maybe 20 minutes and it's it's about you are a writer for a corporation in the cyberpunk future and you play by choosing sometimes you outright choose actions but mostly you're choosing the copy that your company puts out so you're writing 
text about the product that they are making. And sometimes you will make a certain choice and you won't be able to continue because basically your company has redacted the thing you wrote and you can't, you can't move on with it. And it becomes about kind of a rebellion and about how much personal choice even matters within this cyberpunk system. And there are a couple different possible endings. The one I got was like quite trippy sort of, which I enjoyed. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was, it was really good. I think that all of his content has an astonishing optimism to it as well as being largely about corrupt systems there there's a theme that you might see going on here <laughs> um, and about like how much this one in particular is about like how much freedom can you have when everything from your actual legal name to the thing you produce is controlled by your company. Um, one thing in particular that I liked, and I did play this a while ago, so my memory of like the later plot is a little blurry, which is why I'm mostly talking about the, the early parts. But uh, you can choose both a name for your character, like a legal name, and then your like hacker handle name. And the ways in which those are used in the text is really cool. So... Very good. It's on uh, itch.io. It is available. If you search for as century, you could probably find it for free. I mean, you can definitely find it for free, but if you have trouble finding it on Google, that's I can't help you there. <laughs> <laughs> I love I love some good sci-fi writing. Not sci-fi. Cyberpunk. They start with the same sound. Um, especially with like... <laughs> watching cyberpunk be made and i'm like this seems like it's gonna be a disaster of cyberpunk um i love oh, hearing that this still the rpg you mean? yeah no the 20 yeah. yeah cyberpunk 2077 or whatever it is like oh that's a thing um i love hearing about like good cyberpunk that exists because it's such a good genre i think if you want good cyberpunk this is definitely a good place to start as is um counterweight which is one of the podcasts that austin walker does so to go from that to a huge game that you can definitely not oh my gosh sorry you just added something <laughs> to the list that i also wanted to play i've been meaning to play you are jeff bezos and i forgot to play it before this but i was like what's that name of the one where you play as like the capitalist entrepreneur okay um yeah anyway. i'll talk about that <laughs> okay cool so uh yes um we'll get there but this is not that at all um i've been playing assassin's creed odyssey which I was really excited for because I really loved Assassin's Creed Origins and I just generally like the open world direction Assassin's Creed seems to be going. Uh, I love that you can play as a female character and uh, Cassandra seemed really, you know, well acted and like well characterized. Unfortunately, I've been having some trouble getting into this game. And I think that's for two reasons, one of which is more about me and one of which is more about open world games and this game in particular, just personally, I found it hard to go from Bayek, who was like a very sweet, caring person to Cassandra, who was kind of a like layabout mercenary from like <laughs> a trash town. <laughs> so I, it's just a very different type of character and I didn't attach to her as quickly, but her voice acting is really good. I do like the degree to which you can like role play as her. Um, she's, She's pretty good. 
But the open world um, has been much discussed as being disorientingly huge, and I think that's true. The tutorial like sections are about nine hours long, and then oh my realize, god, yeah, and then you realize like literally about nine hours is is when you have gotten to experience every type of gameplay that's available in this game. It's enormous. The menus are just sprawling and confusing. And again, this is not the game's fault. It's more my fault that I basically like missed an entire mechanic for a while. So I was like, there's a thing I want to do and I don't know how to do it. So it was just kind of the menu was like obscure. And so I'm a little bit overwhelmed by it. Um, I'm also at the same time underwhelmed because a lot of the quests have felt repetitive. There are a lot of like animal hunting quests, which I don't really like, not only because I'm a little bit squeamish about animal death, but because I don't think Assassin's Creed's strength is its hack and slash combat. It's good at parkour. <laughs> it's good at stealth. You cannot stealth a bear. So <laughs> animal combat <laughs> is just not all that much fun. And I was pushed into more of it than I would have liked. There, The world is so huge, but there are a couple towns that I went through that were basically empty. The towns in Origins were more varied, which may very well be just the case of that's what that historical era looked like. It just wasn't all that varied. But I found them kind of dull. And then you would go through these towns that don't really have any new quests in them. And it's possible that I just haven't unlocked the quests that will go through there yet. But the last thing I did in Assassin's Creed Odyssey was to travel five kilometers from one end of Greece to the other to get to a character who was part of the story, who then told me, great, glad you're here. Come meet me in this other place, which was a thousand kilometers away. And then I kind oh. of... Yeah, it wasn't so much as rage quit. It was like I just sigh quit. <laughs> I know those <laughs> kinds of quits. Like, yeah, just like I'm just not keen on this. So I do like the story. The kind of doesn't feel like an Assassin's Creed game, but it does have a kind of cool like. There's a cult quest that's pretty neat. <laughs> I like the villains. Um, I've heard that you can flirt with the villains, so I have to try that. But overall, the story is just, I think it's all too big, bigger than it needs to be. And I know it's big partially because some players want to get like their dollar an hour value, right? And I think those people can absolutely get that. But for me, it's just too sprawling. So I'll have more to say about that when I get through some more of the story. I've literally heard people, like, it was a joke, but it was also kind of true, say, like, it really gets good at hour 25. <laughs> so we'll see what happens <laughs> at hour 25. I feel like this is going to be something that's going to come up more and more with, like, you know, stronger, stronger, better consoles, better technology, um, and just... There's always been that push for open world games and like sandboxes and stuff like that. But I think we're hitting a point now where they can make the games too big. Like it can be really exciting to be told that you have like an entire continent that you can run around in. But like you could do that in real life. And it's, it's not that fun. Like <laughs> it's a lot of ground to cover. And if you don't have <laughs> oh some kind of like. Assassin's Creed <laughs> yeah. Odyssey is the Kansas of open world games. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> that's, that's too mean to both of those things. I'm sorry. But yeah, yes, I agree with you. <laughs> yeah. And I think 
it's going to be something. I saw someone comment today about um, – it wasn't about Red Dead Redemption 2, but it was on a thread about it uh, saying that, like, Grand Theft Auto Five had, like, the whole big city and then it had a whole under underwater thing or something like that. I never played the game much, so I'm not sure. But they'll basically, like, if, if it's that big, you can't get familiar with the game. Um, and so you never quite, like, fit in with the game properly because, like, you know, like, how in Horizon Zero Dawn you go through the area so much that you just kind of know them. Like, it's still big, but you kind of get to know your way around – just by habit um and the bigger the game gets the harder that is for players and the more overwhelming they'll get overwhelmed they'll get with all of the stuff that they can do like you could definitely overwhelm players with choice and i think you said before like it's more your fault that you missed the mechanic but i don't think so i think the the design of the game should have made any mechanics that you'd need very clear from the start well not from the start but like made them quite clear and given you ways to learn them very clearly rather than you having to find it in a menu um just coming from my point of view, like I, I fully believe that games should at least push that far with with like guiding a player along rather than leaving them out into the open and being like, have fun. Because maybe some people enjoy that, but like I think a lot more people think they enjoy that more than they actually do. Because you kind of hit a point where you don't actually have enough time to play this entire game unless you forsake everything else in your life. Yeah, and some players can do that, but not all of them. I think one of the problems that Odyssey ran into is that it tried too hard to give people too much choice. If you want to spend your whole time doing the ship combat, you can. If you want to spend your whole time doing assassinations, you theoretically can. Although that's the part that I wanted to do and didn't see on the menu. But supposedly you can do it. (laughs) Um, And... So it does give a lot of choice. Um, but you actually, I believe it was you in one of your talks said that in order to get information across to a player that it was narrow, like story information, you need to tell them like three times. Yeah. Yeah. That was me. <laughs> mm, and I think that might be the case with, you know, many prompts and reminders of like, here's how you can do this, this thing. You can yeah. remind people multiple times. Yeah, yeah. I think I think there's going to be something we're going to see a lot more happening for a while before people realize that this maybe isn't the ideal way to make games. And that would be nice because these games take a lot of money and time to make. Um, I believe you could probably get a similar experience and shrink the game down quite a lot. But we'll see. We'll see. A lot of people seem to be really digging it. I don't know if I'll get to play it anytime soon because it is a big game. And um, I am still playing Destiny a lot. Actually, that's a lie because I'm overseas. Uh, but it's a very big game, and the time no, I can spend on that is terrifying. It's competing with Destiny for me, too, because Destiny's running its Halloween event right now. Yeah! So, and that's much easier to, like, you can go in and play Destiny for 20 minutes. I don't usually because I'm an addict and I'll just stay there. But you could <laughs> theoretically, like, very easily so relatable. play Destiny for, like, 20 minutes. I had to tell a friend that, like, like I can't, I can't join you at six and play for twenty minutes and then leave. I have to do everything I need to do in the day and then join you at nine or whatever. Yep, because that's how I am with Destiny now. Yep, but I log I, on. And I'm like, I must do everything. Yeah, but Odyssey, I think, has been getting good reviews. So don't necessarily take mine as the be all and end all of reviews. But I do think it is. I think we're gonna come to a very interesting point where people are going to maybe start building intentionally smaller games based on Odyssey and Red Dead Redemption 2 and the response to them. 
Yeah, and I would like to see that because I'm a fan of smaller games. <laughs> Love my smaller games. I mean, like, everyone's always complaining about how expensive games are. I mean, make smaller games, but keep them the same price they are. I was like, you can make smaller games and make them cheaper. But I'm like, no, 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 the games are worth more than that. We just need to slowly change the game audience's perception of cost and game, I think. Well, that goes back to that, yeah, the cost per hour conversation, which I also think is worth talking about in regards to subscription-based games like Destiny. Or is, is Assassin's Creed Odyssey trying to be a perpetual motion machine like Destiny? And if so, does it charge that way? I, I do think we're seeing a big change in the way games are. Uh, and this has been going on for quite a while, but the way games yeah. have are created as persistent experiences, right? Yeah. Which yeah, may or may I not wonder come with if... for a change in come with a change in price. Yeah, I do wonder if Odyssey, like games like Odyssey, would s- survive better as persistent games because they could slowly be built out instead of just all being built out at once. Uh, but I don't know. That's that's definitely something that will be, I think, discovered in the coming years. Yeah, let's talk about real small games next. Oh, super small games. Okay, so I saw this game called... How do you say his name? I would say it Bezos, but I, Bezos. I'm pretty sure that's correct. Be- Bezos? Okay. Yeah, okay. So it's a small game on Twine uh, called You Are Jeff Bezos, and it's about you waking up in the body of multi-billionaire Jeff Bezos and okay, basically so- being like, yes? <laughs> well, I just clicked on this game, and first of all... The first sentence is, when you wake up this morning from unsettling dreams, you find yourself changed in your bed into a monstrous vermin. (laughs) And one of the quotes, like the back of the box quotes is, I've never felt so intensely attacked and upset and downright disrespected by a game. <laughs> and, yeah, that's basically how the game is. It's it's really, it's really funny and really I witty. This. It's, it's like commenting on how much goddamn money this man has that he doesn't do anything with to help the world because you can do like I, I did the was like fund a bunch of game studios and i was like yes uh but i was also like yes i'm gonna solve homelessness hell yeah i'm gonna do all these things so like makes you feel like these are the things that people could fix if they use their money so it, it does have actually a point but also it's just really funny <laughs> it's really funny it's got like three different endings i think and i was determined to find them all because at the end, it tells you, like, you got the bad ending or, like, you got the neutral ending. And then I was like, I got those two endings. And I'd see someone else on Twitter mention a third ending. And I was like, I need to find the third ending. And I did find it. And it, it's worth it's worth getting the third ending because it's really good. <laughs> I Very honestly, good. I was playing this um, with uh, my two roommates that I'm staying with at this apartment. And um, I was reading outlines of it to them because they were so funny and we were all just losing it at this game like i unless you're like a weird jeff bezos stan which i imagine if you're listening to this podcast you probably aren't um go play this game because it's like a five minute game and it's really funny this this sounds really funny and i do think that like i do support the independent space exploration thing but also jeff bezos is ridiculous and this sounds like a good game commenting on the the evils of being a billionaire yeah pretty much yeah he's not even (laughs) doing all that well with his attempted space program so he's really not really not (laughs) um but yeah i also at least funny game uh i finished banner saga 3 i actually did it a while ago but because life was happening 
uh, I totally forgot about it and didn't mention it at all in the other po- other episode we did. Um, I was thankfully people peeps on Twitter saw that I was like, I am really poor and I really want to play this game. So I actually got gifted this game, which is I'm incredibly thankful for because um, being able to play this game when I was in a rough part of my life kind of gave me a sense of control. Uh, but also like, I found a very relatable struggle in this game because, I mean, relatable to a point because this game is like, the world is ending and we're all going to die. And you know what? I'm kidding. That is relatable to the real world these days. Um, Honestly, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was more like, um, it's it's just, it's hard and it's cruel. But the ending that I got, because I, I really want to email Stoke and be like, please tell me about your trees, your choice trees. I want to know. Um, mm. But the ending I got was incredibly like hopeful um, and gave me a lot of closure that I wanted um, with certain characters. Uh, like it was just, I actually cried. It's not often I cry at the end of the game, but I actually cried at the ending of this game and finishing it made me feel like, hopeful like i was like these people went through so much and things still like kind of worked out kind of <laughs> it kind of depends mm-hmm. on who you're looking at um but like they found their hope and they got through it and i'm like cool they could do it so could i i didn't expect to get inspirational about the banner saga that's kind of what happened but also very good game i was kind of like worried about how they would finish the series because it's very branching i guess um <laughs> I guess uh, it has. It's very choice based, and there's a lot of variables. And I don't know how much it branches, but it feels like it could branch a lot. Um, I was really happy that a choice I made in the first game, a kind of throwaway choice I made in the first game, came back in this game as an important thing. Because um, in the last game, it never got mentioned again. And I was like, "But where is the thing? I want to know about the thing." And then they brought it back in this, and it was like a big part of like the final, I guess, chapter of the game, uh, which I really enjoyed, and. Yeah, it just, it was just really good. There was one point in it where my favorite character, who is like some woman need, who you only get if you, um, I'm, I'm going to spoil part of this game, but it's fine because it's probably better to know, uh, who you only get if you train women to be archers in the first game. So it's like based on that choice. Um, and oh. I love her so much. She's not like a main character or anything, but I adore this lady. Uh, and at some point in the game, I made some choices and whatever, and uh, and then she left the party and I was like, what just happened? Cause there's no, like, it doesn't explain why she left the party. She's just gone. And I was like, did she die? Did she just abandon me because of the choices I made? What happened? And I was really stressed out. So I shut down the game. Like I literally quit the game. Cause I was like, I can't do this. I don't want to lose her. I don't know what I've done wrong. So what I did oh, was no. I went back. I, I save scummed cause I was real sad about this and discovered that there's no way you keep her in the party at that point. Turns out that she's just leaving the party she comes back and she's just trying to leave so like she didn't like leave your party but it's in preparation for her character potentially leaving your party and i wish so that they'd signposted that script like yeah it's a scripted thing almost leaving okay yeah yeah but i wish they'd signposted that a little bit more when it had happened because i was extremely stressed out by somebody just leaving my party and not knowing why or how uh like i hated that i really did um so yeah, that was like I mean, my I biggest agree. complaint I would be annoyed by that too, because that's that's almost like the opposite of accidental Bioware romance. It's like accidental rejection. Yeah, it was so stressful. I was so stressed out. I was like, "Is this a bug? What's happening? I don't understand." And I didn't pick up the game for a couple of days because I was so like sad about it. Um, so there you go. You never know how attached to random characters your players will become. <laughs> but I also think it is kind of a a thing of. 
it is a bad idea to just suddenly do stuff without signposting to your player that it you can make a choice about it later or like it'll come back because like I hadn't finished the game yet. I didn't know how much previous choices were going to come back. Like I, I love the games, but I still was a little bit iffy on that because there have been, at least in the first game, there were some choices that you could make that were just like, I was like, mm, definitely needs more signposting around here. So the player actually knows what they're getting into because you can seriously screw yourself over in that first game if you're trying to be a good mm. person. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I really, really, really liked it. It was a really good final game. Um, so all up, I think that trilogy, now that there's a third game, the second game doesn't feel quite so like just it ends out of nowhere um, because the second game didn't really have a solid ending off memory. But now that they're all out, like I fully recommend if you haven't already playing them all the way through, they're very intense games and the, the strategy battle i'm still terrible at it i'm still terrible at the fighting system i'm so glad they have an easy mode uh i always want to play games on their hardest modes but i would straight up die if i tried to play this game on its hardest mode uh so yeah it's a good game good i feel like since you have had such a grueling time with it and you've talked about it as such a grueling experience in the past that for you to come out with hope Makes me happy. Yeah, <laughs> like, it felt I don't good. go here, but I'm glad you're happy. Yeah, like, because um, Rook, the main character that I played through all of them, uh, he did, like I, I've talked about before, and the more I played it and realized that making good choices would impact, like, my caravan and my, my community more and negatively, like, I started having to make harder choices because of that, and I kind of turned into the same character as Rook, like, he became me, and we were both cold-hearted, just trying to do what we could to make our people survive, uh, and so getting that kind of closure at the end of the third game of, like, what you did mattered, um, and, like, you can, you can rest easy kind of sort of thing was just really nice, and I'm glad that they didn't, like, <laughs> screw me over at the ending, because I also would have cried, but not for a good reason. Yeah. Though I am curious because I did um I did save scum again, uh, because I made a choice and then the choice ended with someone I like dying and I was like, No, I refuse and I was like, Okay, I know that like these choices will change how how like all of this happens. So I changed my choices because I was like whatever. Um and so I'm curious how the game ends if I hadn't changed that choice because that would have actually like been quite a big difference to how it ended for me. But yeah. I'll play it again one day when I'm ready to face that combat system again. All right. Yeah, that's yes. one that I think isn't really my type of game, but yeah. I've been hearing <laughs> your saga of the Banner Saga and have been quite entertained. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely... Like, it's kind of sucks because it's a really good narrative game, um, but also it does balance that out with the combat being extremely not narrative game. Um, so it, it's a weird in-between, but it's, yeah. I hope that it inspires more games kind of in this vein of storytelling. And it goes to show that you can write good branching games because this one is that, I think. I think. I will hunt down that that tree one day and find out how the choices actually work because I'm so curious. Anyways, so speaking of games with choices, that seemed like a bad segue. Um, I went to... Sorry, sorry. <laughs> there are games with choices in the thing I'm about to talk about, but uh, I went to an event in Melbourne International Games Week called Parallels, which is a showcase of kind of like smaller indie games. Um, and I went to this last year and it was incredibly cool. 
there's like a bunch of really good games. This is where I saw the Untitled Goose game, and I was like, oh my god, this game is amazing. Uh, if you haven't heard of the Untitled uh, yes. Goose game, look it up because you play as a goose and you are horrible and ruin everyone's day, and it's the best. Um, <laughs> this year was like, I had a bunch of friends in it this year because, you know, my friends are game developers. Uh, but the ones that like I was particularly in love with, um, there's one called Pigeon Game, which is like by Lyra Smith, and it's Pigeon Game is about fulfilling your lifelong fantasy of holding a pigeon. And it's basically, yeah, it's amazing. I just like put my hand on like my throat, you know, the like, yeah. Wow. It's (laughs) when I saw it, because I like, I don't love pigeons, but just watching, uh, it's a really sincere, wholesome game. This is basically someone who wanted to make a game that her mom could play. And is also just kind of making a game for herself. Like she saw a bunch of like real fluffy fat pigeons once and was like, I want to pick up those pigeons and hold them. And so she's making a game about it. Um, (laughs) Is this game currently playable anywhere? I don't know if it's out yet. I think there might be a build of it out. Let me see if I... Anywhere outside of Melbourne, that is. I recognize that Melbourne is a real place. Yes. Uh, Yes, you can get it. Um, on okay, smitleu.h.io. Uh, it's available there. Um, it's it's so cute. <laughs> Basically, there's a you're in a pen. I think this might be an earlier version of the game. I'm not sure if it's a finished version, but you're in a pen uh, with a bunch of pigeons, like a little thing, and you can just like throw. <laughs> a bunch of seeds at them and they eat them and then eventually like they'll fall asleep and you can pick them up and just like play with them in your hands like jiggle them around stuff and the pigeons work with like the same physics as like jiggle physics and in, <laughs> in boobs and video games <laughs> so they're really wobbly pigeons <laughs> the, okay so i just did find this on itch.io the graphics are so adorable and these are yeah. extremely fat pigeons and this looks very good <laughs> Yeah, she was um, talking about it and showing us gifts of it, and everyone in the room was just like, oh my god, this is so cute. And I, I opened up the itch page as she was talking, so I would buy it when I got home, because like, I need to play this pigeon game, it looks so cute. Um, so yeah, that's a very small, cute game that was at Parallels that I really liked. Um, there was also another one called Sign In, Sign Out by Tegan Webb. And Sign In, Sign Out is a piece of interactive fiction that explores the ways in which people would indirectly communicate via the internet in the early 2000s. Um, and the way it was presented at Parallels was that the creator did a live read-through of it as as she played through it. And um, it was... I, I've seen this game around because it's been like entered in indie game things before, but I didn't actually know what it was. And I just saw that it was an interactive fiction thing and I was like, I'll play that at some point probably. Uh, but I think the way that it was presented with her reading it was really good because it actually made me listen to it and pay attention to it instead of just being like, oh, yes, words. Um, And it's basically about like having a crush on someone or liking someone that you talk to online, but not being able to talk to them about it. Uh, And so like you kind of communicate that through the game, like your blogs, um, like your live journal entries and stuff like that. Uh, And it's kind of surreal and it feels very like, sincerely about that time um it's really the writing is really good i really enjoyed it so if you like interactive fiction i can recommend that though i don't actually think it's out yet so i can't actually tell you to go play it yet but it's good and there was also novena which was is a game that i think might have been a jam game 
it's a game about comforting a friend. Um, and basically it's just, it's made on Bitsy, which is an, a relatively easy engine to get into, which is like pixel art basically. And you're like this little, like little pal, little animal thing. Who's like, I think it's based around the idea of like reciting like a novena, I think is like a prayer that you do for like nine days or something. It's like a repetition thing. I'm not entirely sure because I just got this explained to me at parallel. So this is me paraphrasing that, but, um, you're basically just trying to get, you're trying the ocean, the ocean, the character, the ocean in this game grants wishes. And so you're trying to return the ocean to grant, to get your wish grant. And the ocean's like, no, I'm not doing this. And the music, the graphics, the writing, everything, it's the writing. I think the entire game was inspired by a poem that this person wrote that then they made into a game. So it's very poetic in its structure. Um, and I actually got really emotional watching them play it through. They didn't finish the game, thank God, because I was like, no, I want to experience this on my own so I can cry. Um, but I got really into that. So I also have that one open on my phone now because I'm like, I must buy this game. So Novena, also extremely good. Like, I love it so much. <laughs> I haven't finished it, but I love it. This event sounds really fun, and I wish I had been there. Yeah, it's really cool. My um, my friend Rakia, who did the interactive anthology, interactive fiction anthology, If Not Us, which I've probably talked about before. I did editing yes. work on it, so I'm like, I'm biased, but I'm also not biased because it's really good. Uh, that was also there, and it was really cool seeing everyone like get excited about interactive fiction, and I was like, yay! It's still People still love this stuff. That's very cool, and I think that's a space in which people are doing really creative stuff, like, you should hold a pigeon, you know? It's Yeah. It's, it's lovely. Yeah, I really love um, Free Play, which is the festival that hosts Parallels. Uh, Free Play is a festival that's like earlier in the year, and then Parallels is a thing, is a showcase that they do later in the year. But Free Play has a huge emphasis on like kind of more experimental indie stuff. And I think like you're not allowed to <laughs> submit your games to this stuff if they're like big games um, because they want to highlight the smaller stuff, which is really cool. Um, and that I think that was actually the highlight of my Melbourne Games Week so far. Like, I'm not. Because that was really good, not because Games Week has been bad. But there was also, uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about this now because it's in the notes to do, but also because I want to. Um, <laughs> so I, I went to uh, Games Pacific, nope, Games Connect Asia Pacific. I missed two words in there, which is GCAP, which is kind of the big conference of this week. Uh, there's also PAX, there's Unite, which is a Unity conference. And I don't go to that because I don't use Unity. Uh, there's also KaiPlay, which is a big academic conference, which is happening on Monday. But it is very expensive and I am not an academic, so I could not submit a paper to it. Um, so I'm not going to that, though I wish I could because it sounds really cool. And there's also PAX, which I think I mentioned already, which is, you know, a big convention. Um, and so at GCAV, I actually did a talk this year, which I'm still amazed I got accepted for because I got accepted as an international speaker. Uh, excellent. Which, excellent. Congratulations. Yeah, which was, thank you. It was very exciting. Um, and so I did a talk about narrative design, obviously, about information gaps and gaps in storytelling and how they can be utilized across the medium um, to tell better stories. And basically... It was somewhat of a thing of being like, hey, maybe signpost your choices. Hey, maybe remind your players of what they've been told so that they remember it later on. Uh, but it was also like kind of an in-depth research of how players and readers kind of retain information and learn information, uh, which I think is important when you're trying to tell a story. It's not necessarily like essential stuff that you need to know just to write a book. But I think when you're doing narrative design, it is pretty important to know 
Uh, sorry to listeners who are just gamers and are like, I don't know what any of this means. Uh, but if you do care and are interested in any way, I have it. The slides is my pinned tweet on Twitter. Uh, if you want to read through those, um, that was really fun. I'm just going to say like, I, I spent way too long not working on my talk when I should have been. So I ended up spending most of this week in my room writing my talk like a responsible adult. And I'm really proud of it. It was fun. <laughs> Good. I'm proud of you. Thank you. <laughs> um, I read and- it. I didn't fully understand it because I'm not in the games industry, but I was <laughs> impressed. <laughs> I think also because I do write notes under the slides, but a lot of it is also like stuff that I just kind of know. So a lot of my notes are in my head already. So some of the slides may not make full sense just because of the way I've written stuff out on them. Um, my friend told me that a good presentation has slides that you don't understand until you're told what they mean. And then, then you're like, oh, that makes perfect sense. And I think mine has a few of those. So maybe it is good. Who knows? I went a little ham on the colors, but it's, it's fine. Um, I also... <laughs> As you um, I also got to meet Rihanna Pratchett. I asked her to pass me the butter and she did. Um, that was very exciting. <laughs> That's, uh, That's amazing. I totally understand. No, I, I do act totally understand that feeling of like, you're casually just in the same space as this person that was there and it was and is like sort of a magical art producing machine to you, but also they're a yeah. real person who needs the butter. Yeah, it was so, it was so weird. Um, cause I was, cause I was an international speaker. I'm doing like air quotes as I say these things. Uh, so I was on the VIP table at this lunch that I went to. Um, and so I got to sit on the same table as like a bunch of like people like, uh, like, Rihanna Pratchett and I was just like whoa what is going on <laughs> I don't know what to do uh and I barely talked to her because I was like this is Rihanna Pratchett and I was also sitting a couple seats away from her so it was kind of awkward to lean across the table and be like hello I am Seth um <laughs> but then I ended up actually <laughs> being on a panel with her those words exactly <laughs> that is probably that is generally what I say when I don't know how to introduce myself properly to someone it's happened it a few is, times uh, and I was, yeah, I was on a couple panels yesterday and one of them had Rihanna Pratchett on it as well, which is uh, the Writers Anonymous panel that we do at PAX, which I guess is now a thing that we just do because we did it last year and did it again this year. Uh, and both times we've had like, we had David Gator on it last year, which was like, what the hell is happening? And now we've Rihanna Pratchett on it this year. And I was like, what the hell is happening? Um, <laughs> and so it was, it was really, it was a really cool panel. And it was, it's cool hearing her talk about the games industry from her side of things. Cause like when she started games writing, uh, that wasn't really a job. She just kind of made it a thing. Like, she was like, this is what I'm going to do now, so it's going to be a thing. And she kind of just did that, which is really, really cool to see. Um, but it's also like, oh, God, she could just leave the office and go writing at home and nobody cares because she's good at what she does and has respect. She's earned respect. Um, and hearing about the AAA experience, which is very different to the indie experience. Uh, so it was like inspirational but also like oh god the games industry sucks sometimes <laughs> hmm. um yeah and i also got to hold her hand because we do like this thing at the end of the panel where <laughs> like we uh all hold hands and recite like this pledge to be better writers basically um and i was like oh no i'm holding rihanna pratchett's hand oh no why am i sitting here um <laughs> and all then right afterwards messaged my best friend about it because he was like he, he loves the tomb raider game so he was like how dare you um <laughs> I lo- like. I'm tempted to be like, all right, this is too far. You got to maintain your professional dis- 
distance. But also, that's delightful, and I'm really glad you're having a great time and making such good connections. Yeah, like, I can't say I made a connection with her, really. I mean, I did hold her hand, but that's because we kind of had to as part of the panel. So I was like, <laughs> I'm, I'm so sorry. I hope my hands aren't too sweaty. Oh, God. <laughs> I also, she was also watching me <laughs> steal all the candy out of the bottles. <laughs> I didn't really make a connection. I just held her hand. (laughs) That's that's great. Yeah. So, like, at the speaker tables, like, instead of talking about the actual PAX experience, I'm going to talk about candy. Um, At at the tables for panels, they have water bottles, obviously, but they also have these little bowls of, like, boiled lollies. And I hate them because they're delicious and I can't stop eating them. But also, like, they're terrible to have in your mouth when you're talking because you can't get rid of them because they're boiled lollies. Um, Wait, I don't – I don't – think that's a thing that we say in america what is hard candy boil hard candy yeah like yeah the ones that are hard that you have to like it's like okay yeah kind of like that but like the sweets that are like in wrappers okay gotcha yeah so like those kinds of things um yes and i have there are pictures on your twitter i've seen pictures yes um so both panels i went to i stole all of the good candies out of the bowls. So there were only orange ones left. And I'm so sorry to everybody who had to eat the orange ones after I was gone. Uh, but I was sitting there stealing the candy out of the bowl and like looking and Rihanna Pratchett was just watching me do this. And so I like left the ones I'd stolen on the table in case she wanted them. But then she kept picking ones out of the bowl instead. And I was like, okay, I'm so sorry. I just left you with orange ones. I hope you like orange ones. Um, and then I shoved them all in my bag when I left the panel. So that's me. I'm a candy gremlin. It's critically important. I'm truly the only important look behind the scenes at, at yep. Melbourne Games Week. Yep. Uh, I wish I could comment more on the indie games being shown there at the moment, but I actually can't because I went to play them yesterday, but it was so busy because it was Saturday. So I'm going to go do that today because I want to play games. Uh, apparently Kingdom Hearts 3 is on the floor, so I'm going to elbow some people out of my way to play that game because <laughs> Kingdom Hearts 3 is all that will own me once it comes out. Um <laughs> very good very good yeah games week this year has been interesting because there's been like a lot of talk about crunch and like audiences and all of that stuff at leadership um because you know there's been a lot of crunch stuff happening like a lot of news coming out this year uh and so i was part of like kind of the keynote of the second day of gcap which was basically just a bunch of five minute rants like it was lightning lightning talks uh so we basically were given the prompt of like rant about whatever you feel like and if like rant about whatever you feel like in the theme of the event which was behind the walls beyond the walls something building the walls something about walls um and then they're like or not just talk about whatever you want um and so my rant was about Uh, how games need writers and that game writers are actually really important and that you should hire them. Uh, And afterwards, a bunch of people came up to me and they're like, thank you for saying that because nobody respects us. And I was like, I know that's why I yelled this Mm. at everybody. Uh, But there was also one about, hang on, let me just quickly double check what his name was because I've forgotten. Um, Where is it? There it is. Uh, By Keith Fuller, who is, he's been working in like games like 20 years or something. Like he's a proper veteran. Um, and he's shipped 12 AAA titles, so he knows what he's doing. And he basically went up and got made a real big rant about how it, games has bad leadership and that um, people need to actually take more responsibility for the teams they're looking after because people are what make games. Uh, and he he went off. Like, he went off. He was so mad, which is fair. Uh, so it was like – and then there was also um, 
uh, what's her name? Kate Edwards. She's not on the thingy. Oh, there she is. Kate Edwards, who is the CEO of Geography, uh, which is a consultancy for stuff. Uh, she used to be the director of the IGDA, the executive director at that. Um, so she's like quite a well-known person amongst the game industry. Uh, she got up and basically was like, collective action. We need to take collective action. We need righteous anger and stuff like that. And um, mm. it was basically trying to be like, if we don't all act together, we can't make it better. Uh, so there was like a lot of... Yeah, a lot of talk about like people um, working together and also leaders taking ownership for the people they're looking after. And I don't think we've really had stuff like that in previous years of Games Week. Um, there hasn't been this big push like this and like this anger that's kind of brewing underneath. And I think seeing the stuff with like Red Dead Redemption 2 coming out, um, as well as other games, uh, like Telltale closing and stuff like that, has really just like kind of ramped that up. And so there was a different energy around everything this year just because of that and i think just like assassin's creed odyssey we're gonna see a lot of changes kind of coming in the future because of stuff like this i think that's really good i don't you know i can't speak to it from an industry perspective but i can speak to a larger art perspective i think that art in general is undervalued and Mm -hmm. that people should speak out for their own value so i'm really glad that this is something that's coming to the fore in the games industry right now and as you said i think especially and you know this is my bias too but writers tend to be kind of invisible when it comes to the conversation around games. And I'm glad that you and it sounds like others as well are pushing for more, um, both just more uh, understanding of what writers do and also, you know, correct compensation and, um, you know, compensation that people can live on ideally. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's the dream. Cause like, I love games and I love working in games, but I'm also just like, very i think when you don't work in games or you don't have any idea of how it works it's very easy to see it as like a dream job and like an ideal thing but once you actually work in games it's hard it's it's largely boring there's a lot of work that is very boring um it's it's just another job and getting the idea that it's like the ideal job because it is a very cool job like i do get to work on games uh but it's not like some dream job that's magical and impossible to get it is a possible job uh i think removing that idea and also removing the idea to gamers that like games just come into existence like there's not like millions of people well that's a bit of an overestimation but like there's not heaps of people working on these games to make them happen um i think we've got to change those perceptions as well to help the games industry grow i'm glad to see that this is at least being discussed now and i'm really curious to see what changes going forward yeah me too i have a feeling there's gonna be a lot of stuff over the new year um which i'm excited to see but also terrified to see because i don't know what's gonna happen uh but yeah it's it's been a good experience this week um less of a positively uplifting year like last year i think i came out of games week being like yes narrow design is what i want to do and i want to be in games forever now uh and like i'm here now and i want to do narrative but i'm also a lot more realistic about it as well of like, if I can't get a career in games, like I can, I can go do something else. Like there are other jobs out there. Uh, and that's not as heartbreaking to me as it once was, but I still want to work in games. So I'm willing to fight for it. This got weirdly, weirdly serious somehow. My bad. No, I think that's a good, I think that's a perfectly appropriate thing. I do think that's a good point to, to wrap up on because I do want to end on that like kind of inspiring note of like, 
be inspired, be realist, get what you like, be paid as you deserve, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's worth, it's worth looking at what you're doing and what you want to do and for fighting for what's good. And I'm a much stronger, I'm in I'm a much stronger belief right now that I think everyone should work to help the people around them. Um, and in my case, this may mean that I will butt heads in the future because I've suddenly decided to take the very strong stance of if it's the right thing to do, I'm just going to do it. Uh, so we'll see how that goes for me. That could be bad, but hopefully it's good. Uh, so yeah, I believe <laughs> no, I everyone should that's... fight for good. <laughs> yes. And I want to believe that ultimately fighting for good matters. And now we're really into the Hallmark card territory, but I think it we does. are. I think, yes, yeah. I think it has to. Yeah, absolutely. So all of us should just go do that. As if it's easy, but we should try. Um, so that's going to be our episode for today. We know we had turned, but you know what? It's fine. That's good. We're doing this now. Um, it's good. I, <laughs> I feel energized. I do feel energized. I'm going to go kick today's ass. Um, so, Megan, <laughs> where can people find you online? <laughs> Time zones. She's like, I'm ready. I'm going to work. I'm like, I'm going to go to sleep. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, I would rather go to sleep, but you know. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, so you can find me at blog full of words on Twitter. I write for starwars.com, Star Wars Insider, and Den of Geek. My current and latest work for starwars.com is about the spooky stories of the witches of Dathomir. Oh my I god, also so write good. A couple, thank you. <laughs> I also read a couple um, choose your own adventure games twine games which can be found on my website at blogfullofwords.blogspot.com those are also very good um you can Where find can me on find you on twitter amazingly <laughs> um at wanderlustin w-a-n-d-e-r-l-u-s-t-i-n i'm mostly off my hiatus now so i'm mostly back to normal on twitter which is fun exciting uh you can also find me at notsafwork.com but don't judge the website right now it's going through some changes so it looks kind of ugly uh, I also have a Patreon, which is the same as my Twitter. Um, and I also podcast with Megan on Blaster Cannon for Den of Geek, which is a good one. And I also do Rogue Padron, which is a terrible one. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Rogue Padron is good. It's very good. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you can also find Western Reaches on Twitter at Western underscore Reaches. Uh, we are a Toshi Station podcast network, so ToshiStation.net is where our home is. So you can check that out. And we will be back next month with more stuff. More stuff. Um, give us, if you have any ideas for main topics that you'd like us to dig into, feel free to add us either on our web, our podcast Twitter or at our personal Twitters because um, we like to know what people want to hear us talk about. Uh, so go have fun, everybody. Fight for good. And don't forget to check the Western Reaches. Covenant movement.